You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, So four days after Robert Deere, I'm talking about the mass shooting one or two mass shootings ago at this point. Robert Deere is the guy who went into a Planned Parenthood office in Colorado Springs with some sort of semi-automatic weapon and shot up the place, killed an Iraq war vet, killed a mother of two and killed a cop and shot four other cops and injured a bunch of other people and was taken alive Unlike, say, Tamir Rice, who was playing with a toy gun in a park in Ohio, which is an open carry state, who was shot dead by a cop. This guy, Robert Deere, who killed a cop, somehow taken alive after shooting up a Planned Parenthood. And on his way out, when he's being arrested, he basically quoted Mike Huckabee and Carly Fiorina, saying that he did what he did, that he shot up the place, that he killed that Iraq war vet, that he killed that mom, that he killed that cop to stop them from selling baby parts, which is a direct quote, baby parts, Mike Huckabee, Carly Fiorina. So this is a lie. Planned Parenthood does not sell baby parts. Planned Parenthood legally makes fetal tissue from aborted fetuses available for research. The kind of research Dr. Ben Carson has himself engaged in, the kind of research that has led to treatments and cures for many intractable illnesses makes those tissues available when they are donated to science, to scientists, and they are reimbursed for handling expenses, and that is it. But you've had right-wing shitbags attacking Planned Parenthood nonstop since this torrent of manipulatively edited lying videos about Planned Parenthood have been pumped out by a right-wing hate group, basically, in my opinion, a right-wing anti-woman hate group. You have had Republicans, including Republican candidates for president, demagoguing and screaming and yelling and lying and repeating and repeating and repeating this big, ugly lie that Planned Parenthood sells baby parts. And now you have psychos like Robert Deere marching into a Planned Parenthood office with a gun and murdering a bunch of people. Four days later, four days after this attack on Planned Parenthood, the Senate voted to defund Planned Parenthood. Roughly 40% of Planned Parenthood's funding comes from the federal government. Not one penny of the federal government's money is spent on providing abortions or abortion services at Planned Parenthood, which is only 3% of what Planned Parenthood does. So that 40% of their funding actually goes to 97% of what Planned Parenthood does. And this is what the Senate, in the wake of the murders, in the wake of that rampage to Planned Parenthood office, this is what the Senate voted to defund, STI screenings. Pap smears, contraception. If you care about bringing down the abortion rate, shooting up an abortion clinic, not the way to do it. Making contraception more widely available to women and the men they sleep with is the way to do it. Planned Parenthood is in this country the single biggest preventer of abortions by making contraceptive services available to millions of American women. Cancer screenings, that's what the Senate voted to defund. In the wake of this attack on Planned Parenthood, rather than standing with Planned Parenthood, defending Planned Parenthood, which everyone should have done, including these fucking reptiles in the Senate, they voted to 
strip Planned Parenthood of its federal funding. They voted to, in the wake of this attack on women, on women's rights, on women's access to health care, the Senate did what? It attacked women. It voted to take money away from cancer screenings, STI screenings, contraception. Planned Parenthood provides 400,000 pap tests every year, 500,000 breast exams. 80% of the people who go to Planned Parenthood go to get services that will help them prevent an unintended pregnancy. Every prevented unintended pregnancy is a prevented abortion. You would think the Senate, you would think conservatives would be throwing money at Planned Parenthood. But no, they are going to take money from Planned Parenthood, which means there will be more women out there who have unintended pregnancies who will then go to a much reduced Planned Parenthood perhaps, a Planned Parenthood that does fewer cancer screenings, a Planned Parenthood that does fewer pap smears, a Planned Parenthood that provides fewer women with contraceptives for abortions. Appalling. This attack on Planned Parenthood in the wake of that attack on Planned Parenthood is just appalling and so hypocritical. And thank God we have a Democratic president right now who has already pledged to veto this bullshit repeal of Obamacare in which they have tucked the defunding of Planned Parenthood. Their hope, their, their, their dream is to strip millions of Americans of their health care coverage by repealing Obamacare, which is not perfect but is better than what we had before. And their fondest hope is to stuff inside that turducken style, stuff inside that horrible – like a shit turducken, stuff inside the repeal of Obamacare, the defunding of Planned Parenthood. And the only thing that's standing between the Republican-controlled House, the Republican-controlled Senate and the repeal of Obamacare and the defunding of Planned Parenthood is a Democratic president. So, my darlings, register your asses to vote. Register your asses for absentee ballots if you're not capable of getting to the polls on a Tuesday morning because you have a job that you can't get away from. Go register for that, that absentee ballot now. Find someone else to register to vote who is not yet a voter. I am looking forward to my son's birthday next year because I will be registering him to vote and he will be voting. And I am looking forward, if Hillary Clinton is the nominee, to my son voting in his first presidential election for a woman who will then, if there is still a Republican-controlled Congress and House, veto the shit out of bills like this repealing Obamacare, defunding Planned Parenthood. So what can you do in the wake of this attack, both of these attacks on Planned Parenthood? The attack by Robert Deere with the gun, the attack that Mike Huckabee and Carly Fiorina helped to engineer, call them the unindicted co-conspirators, and the attack four days later in the U.S. Senate, you can register to fucking vote right now before you listen to the rest of today's show. All right, shifting gears coming up on today's show. We have the One Minute Wonder Show, short questions, and if I can manage it, short responses coming right up. Hi, Dan. I'm 23-year-old woman here, and I'm in the car with my boyfriend right now, and he wants me to give him roadhead. But I feel like it's pretty dangerous. So I was wondering if you had any tips or suggestions on how we can make this happen in a safe way. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 
Each day in the United States, more than nine people are killed and more than 1,153 people are injured in crashes that are reported to involve a distracted driver. Distracted driving is driving while doing another activity that takes your attention away from driving. Distracted driving can increase the chance of motor vehicle crash. I think roadhead qualifies as distracted driving. And the kind of injury that you might acquire during roadhead, imagine if you're blowing him, his dick is in your mouth, and you have a fender bender and the airbag goes off, which would slam your jaw shut around his dick, and you would bite his dick off. I think the only way to do this safely is to go to an amusement arcade and do it in one of those road driving simulation video game machines. Good luck. God damn, my name's Joe from Pittsburgh. I was just calling to maybe get your opinion on taking someone back after they cheat on you. If you've ever had that experience in your life, I'm struggling with taking someone back and, and still loving them. Even after I told myself that that was a line I would never cross and never go back with someone after they fuck someone else in a relationship with me. So uh, I would really, really appreciate your help. It depends on the kind of cheating. As I like to say, fucked your sister on your wedding night. Probably can't get past that. In the context of a long-term relationship where there's commitment and there's love and there's intimacy, some minor straying, a a one-off, one-time regretted infidelity should be something that you can wrap your head around forgiving and getting past because the odds of that happening to you again in any subsequent long-term, long, long long-term relationships with others – are really high. So this ability to forgive somebody for a one-off, regretted infidelity that taken in context, there may be extenuating circumstances that mitigate guilt or shittiness, right? That ability to forgive that and move past it will, will serve you well, particularly if you really do love this person. So you should take a look at what exactly happened and why. How sincere in your judgment is the remorse? Is this evidence of a serial adulterer, uh, something you couldn't abide by or endure or stand exposing herself as such? Or is this, was it just one of those things? Monogamy over the long, long term is hard. And we tell people that, you know, you're monogamous until you fuck somebody else and then you've destroyed the monogamy. The trust is gone, can never be recovered. And we need to stop that because adultery infidelity happens. And The stats and data tell us that it happens in just about every truly long, long long-term committed relationship. So if we want those relationships to survive, those nearly inevitable infidelities, we need to be able to game it out in our heads. A a, a scenario, a situation in which we can forgive, move past, re-endow someone with our trust. It's a good skill to have. It may save this relationship or it may save your next relationship. So, caller, look at what happened. You decide you're in a much better position than I am if this is the unforgivable, scalding betrayal or if this is a routine, one-off, judgment-impaired, regretted infidelity that can be forgiven. And if it's the latter, forgive it because if you end this relationship because of that kind of infidelity, the odds that there will be that kind of infidelity in your next relationship – Either your partner committing that kind of infidelity or you committing that kind of infidelity are pretty high. So you would be literally jumping out of the frying pan, potentially into the fire. Why not just stay in the comfy frying pan you're in now? Hey, Dan. 
If you want to have anal sex and you don't have any lube on hand, but you do have olive oil, is that okay? Just asking for a friend. I'm going to defer to the ancient Greeks on this. Olive oil worked just fine for them. Probably worked fine for you too. That said, oils dissolve latex. You can't use olive oil with condoms. Otherwise, if you're fluid bonded, make like the ancient Greeks. Go for it. Hi, Dan. I have an elderly neighbor. She's in her late 70s. And every time I see her, she pulls me aside and wants to talk. She has a bad habit, to say the least, of making racist, homophobic, and transphobic comments. I don't interact with her a ton, but we are next door neighbors, and when I see her, these things do come up. I'm wondering what the best way to deal with this is. You should deal with this the way you would deal with anyone else taking you into their shitty confidence this way. Because when someone who is white says something shitty and racist to another white person, when someone who is cisgendered says something shitty and transphobic to somebody who is also cisgendered, or if someone says something homophobic, some straight person to somebody else who is also straight, they're making this assumption that you're a bigot too. And that assumption should offend you. And, and I think it does. And you have a right to push back against that. You should say in the moment, that's bullshit. You're wrong. I can't believe you would say that to me. I realize that I am not a person of color. I am not trans myself. I'm not this or I'm not that. But I resent the assumption that I, like you, and prejudiced against X, Y, or Z people. And if she's saying something that you can disprove, that trans women are all rushing into bathrooms to enjoy the sounds of women tinkling or whatever it is the fuck that she's saying that's transphobic or that people of color are this or that, if you can disprove it in an argument, argue with her. Just because somebody's 70 doesn't mean they get a pass on their bullshit. You can smile, you can get in her face, you can have those arguments in a way that's not toxic, right? We all, many of us have those kinds of arguments with our relatives that we're going to have to see again and again and again for the rest of our lives. And you can engage and be firm and even confrontational without being nuclear, without going nuclear. But you should definitely and aggressively, with a big smile on your face, push back against this bullshit. If for no other reason than the insult she's laying at your feet when she takes you into her racist, transphobic, homophobic, whatever else phobic confidence. Hi, Dan. Calling from uh, Perth in Western Australia. I get the odd um, message pop up from guys offering sex for cash, which I don't have a problem with. I've never done it, but that's fine. I got one today from a young guy who's self described as straight, 19, good looking, desperate for cash, offering 100 bucks if I blow him. How shitty of me would it be to try and beat his price down given that I didn't go to him, he came to me out of the blue, and he can always say no, I guess, but would it be shitty to try and say beat him down to 50 bucks? What are your thoughts on that? You can make a counter offer, you can haggle over this blowjob if you want. My sex worker pals tell me that this is very insulting. Better to pass on the offered 100 buck blowjob and let him realize perhaps that his prices are too high. But as far as sex work goes, 100 bucks, particularly if he's hot and you really want it, is a reasonable price. Most sex workers charge 
200, 300 bucks an hour for a date. So you're already getting a bargain rate blowjob or giving a bargain rate blowjob. And I think haggling over the price of that bargain rate blowjob would be unseemly. It would make you seem a cad. Hi, Dan. Uh, I am a 26-year-old straight female living in Chicago. And uh, a friend and I were discussing uh, our credit card debt and how we both have careers and we both make good money, but we'd really like to make some extra money to pay up our credit card debt. And we also both love giving blowjobs. And we are wondering if you have any resources or information on the standard rate that women would charge to give a blowjob. The going rate for a blowjob from a sex worker exists in inverse proportion to that sex worker's marketability, desperation for money, whatever else it is. You can find blowjobs out there for five bucks. You can also find blowjobs out there for $2,000. The average or the going rate or the one I hear most frequently about from my sex worker pals and just paying attention to sex work generally is 150, 200 bucks, 300 bucks for a date for that hour or your labor. Don't undersell yourself. There's also, if you're considering going into sex work, there are milder forms of it. I don't want to discourage you from giving blowjobs if that's what you're good at and that's what you enjoy and that's the skill you would like to monetize. Go for it. But if I were in your shoes and I had crushing credit card debt and I was contemplating some form of sex work, I think I would start first with literally dipping a toe in, maybe foot fetish, Modeling where you allow some guy to worship your feet and you only have to be naked from the calves down and the risk of acquiring oral gonorrhea, oral syphilis, oral herpes, chlamydia in your face are non-existent because you're not going to get gonorrhea between your toes. Hey, Dan. So my cum is tingly. Um, My current partner was telling me, oh, your cum is very tingly. And I've tasted it, and it's true. I've never uh, gotten this feedback before. I've asked people, and they haven't experienced it before. Um, I don't know if you've done a cum taste test, but why is my cum tingly, and is this a common thing? Myth has it that Dom Pierre Perignon invented champagne, and when he tasted his first bottle of his champagne, he exclaimed, to his monkey brothers, come quickly, I am drinking the stars. I like to think that your boyfriend could now run through the streets of whatever gay neighborhood you live in saying, come quickly, I am drinking the stars, every time you blow a fizzy load into his mouth. But that said, I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know why your cum is fizzy now. And I'm going to toss this out there to other listeners. We're going to crowdsource a response for you Anybody out there know what's up with this guy's jizz? We will hunt down a guest expert. In the meantime, if anybody out there has the wisdom, give us a call and fill us in. Hi, Dan. I am a twenty, late 20-year-old female from the East Coast, and I have a question about men's ability to last. I've noticed that men with smaller dicks usually don't last as long as men with larger dicks. And I'm just wondering if there's a reason for that or if there's something else going on. I'm not a physicist, but I am going to speculate that each individual thrust 
of someone with a longer dick, it, it takes more time. So it takes longer for the necessary amount of friction to accumulate where somebody with a smaller dick, each thrust, takes less time. So the stimulation builds up quicker for the guy with the shorter dick than it does for the guy with the longer dick. That's my theory, but it's also just possible that this is about your sample that you have been with, not a randomly selected a number of guys with a control group, but just coincidentally, the guys you've been with, you've noticed this pattern. That doesn't mean that it's necessarily true or exists. There are guys out there and we will hear from them and their partners after this show airs who have – uh, average or below average dicks who last forever and guys with giant dicks who are premature ejaculators. So I'm not sure that this is actually a thing. But if it were a thing, that's my theory earlier, what I just said about how it would work. Hi, Dan and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth, a 23-year-old woman calling from Toronto, Canada. And I have a question about coming out. It's not about me, but it's about dating. I grew up with a lesbian mom who I'm super proud of, and I'm so glad that she's dating someone. But the true question is, when do I come about, come out about her? When do I tell the man that I'm dating that my mom's gay and she has a partner? And that's my question. There comes a point in every new relationship where you begin discussing your families, whether you have siblings or not, what your parents do, and those would be the, the right and appropriate times for you just to roll this out casually and normally. It is your normal. It is a normal thing, if not a normative thing. Just toss it out there without hesitation. And remember, this is a sorting hat moment for you. When you reveal this bit of information about your family, that dude's reaction, you're telling that dude one thing about you and your family. His reaction tells you everything you need to know about him. If he reacts badly, eh, he is disqualified from dating you. Hi, Dan. I'm a gay man in a long-term relationship. I have permission to have sex with someone else, but the rules are it has to be outside of our circle of friends, and he doesn't want to know about it. Uh, this all seems reasonable, but I'm looking for something ongoing, not anonymous sex. How do I go about finding someone discreetly without resorting to something like Craigslist? Ugh. There are other apps than Craigslist, which can be skeezy and skeezes people out. There is Grinder, there is Scruff, there is, depending on what you're interested in, Recon, there's OkCupid, there's Tinder, there are queer people on Tinder. You have lots and lots of other options, unless if what you meant by Craigslist is all dating apps. You're uncomfortable with using any and all dating apps. And that might be an issue for your partner. If you go on a dating app and you guys have single friends who are out there, they may spot you there. And if your partner wants to maintain the facade of social monogamy, even though you guys are letting go of sexual monogamy, that may make your partner feel uncomfortable. In which case, you will just have to lay in wait. You will have to wait until, by chance, you meet someone else outside your circle of friends that you vibe with, that you click with. And you may need to engineer that chance. You may need to get out there every once in a while and get out of your normal social patterns, go to bars you don't typically go to, reach out to old friends that you haven't seen since you've gotten into your relationship, go hang out with them one or two nights a month or one night a week and move into a different social arena than the one you've been occupying and the one where most of your mutual friends currently reside. And then if you meet somebody, say, hey, this is what I'm after. This is what I'm looking for. But I do think that apps are the best way for you to go. 
because your particular situation, committed relationship, non-monogamous, you'd like an ongoing regular thing with someone else. It would really behoove you to have that ongoing regular thing with someone else who is in a very similar circumstance to your own so that you, you're with someone who isn't trying to land a boyfriend or life partner or a husband of his own and who wants what you want, which is a fuck buddy on the side that doesn't threaten his primary partner and his relationship, which is what you should want too. And I think apps and the internet are the fastest and best way for someone like you to find someone like that. Hey, Dan, got a one-minute wonder for you. How do you deal with an old flame who we're so friendly, keeps referencing our past relationship in the context of, gee, wouldn't it be great to do that again? We hooked up a few times in college 15-some-odd years ago. Uh, He's single. I'm poly. I'm not interested and I don't want to hurt him. What do I do? This is why I get paid the big bucks to handle these really hard questions, to unpick these locks, to slice through these Gordian knots. Here's what you do. You fucking tell him. You don't worry about hurting his fucking feelings. Yeah, he's single. Yeah, you're poly. Yeah, he knows it. That doesn't mean you will fuck anybody at any time. So you just tell him. I'm not interested. 15 years ago was nice. Never want to fuck you ever again. Not interested. Please stop bringing it up because it makes me feel uncomfortable. And we are not going to be able to have a friendship if our friendship, from my perspective, is nothing but you trying to weasel your way back into my pants, which is never, ever, ever going to happen again. Okay? Don't worry about hurting his feelings. Hurt his Feelings potentially, if he can't hear that, if he can't hear no, if he can't handle rejection, when he has essentially hit on you, he's hitting on you, if he can't hear a no without being hurt, then he deserves to be hurt and it's his problem, not yours. Reject him cleanly, unambiguously. Just give him a no and if he comes at you again, give him the big no, which is we can't hang out if you are going to keep bringing this up. We can't hang out if you ever bring this up again. Understood? And when you give him the mild no and if you must give him the big fat fucking no, you might want to add just to stick up for yourself as a poly person, just to battle against myths and stereotypes about poly people that just because I'm poly doesn't mean I'm like a 7-Eleven on a corner. I'm open all the time and anybody can walk the fuck in. I'm not going to fuck you, poly or, or not poly. Hi, Dan. I have a call for your one-minute show. Um, I'm happily married for four years and don't have any problems with my relationship at all. Um, but my husband is introverted and a musician and plays a lot of concerts. And when I go out partying with my friends, he's either at a concert or he is too tired to go out partying with me and my friends. And it doesn't bother me at all, but it seems to bother my friends. And whenever I'm at a party, he's not there. I always hear Things like, oh, why isn't your husband here? And, oh, we don't believe you that you're really married. And, oh, why doesn't he want to come with? And, oh, why doesn't he like us? And I feel like the White House press secretary. So um, what tips do you have for things I can say that um, don't put me in a defensive mode, that explain that my relationship is good, or just dismiss these people because I'm tired of these questions? It's too bad my husband, Terry, won't come on the podcast ever because he could answer this question. He is actually the world's 
most qualified or my world's most qualified guest expert to tackle this question because he has to answer it all the time. He has to answer the questions that your friends are putting to you all the time about me because I am an introvert because I don't like to go out to concerts and shows because he has friends often for many years, people he's gotten to know and are that he's close to that have never met me or laid eyes on me. Because I don't want to get dragged to a show and be miserable. I don't want to get dragged to a concert and be miserable. And we arrived very early in our relationship at the realization that my presence at a concert ruined it for Terry because I was not happy to be there. And it made him self-conscious and he couldn't relax and enjoy himself. And the solution was for him to go go hang out with those friends that he has who want to go dancing or go to concerts and for me to stay home and do my thing, which is reading and working and listening to musical theaters, original Broadway cast recordings. And then he comes home from the shows and he tells me about them and I pretend to care about them when he comes home and tells me about them. And I assume your relationship is similar. But what do you say to your friends when they ask, where's your husband? Doesn't he like us? You say, here's one of the things that makes our marriage work. I don't force him to do things that make him miserable, like go to shows or hang out at parties because he's kind of an introvert. And he doesn't force me to do things that make me miserable, like whatever those examples might be, site one or two. If you have really close friends and you have an introverted husband like Terry does, like me, one-on-one meetings, the occasional small dinner parties, they can verify that your husband actually exists and that he actually likes you and that he can actually be nice to people. When they're not at a concert or a party, which is my thing, too. I am a kinky 35-year-old guy in a place where the teen community is tiny. I have a big house, so a few times a year I host a party. I am also a proud and responsible dog owner. I recently heard that, uh, as if it is common knowledge, that the kink of a local triad is to have sex with dogs. I cringe. I will soon have a party at home, and I don't want those people anywhere near my babies. Am I being too sex-negative and hypocritical to call myself kinky and kink-friendly, but at the same time ban someone from my event because of their particular kinks? What do you think? I suppose your Evite could read, BYOB, please don't fuck my dogs. And that might take care of it. Your call is kind of blowing my mind because it seems like the two things you're weighing against each other, keeping the peace in your local and relatively tiny kink community with the safety of your pet dogs. Now, even if this triad is indeed having sex with dogs, which makes me want to throw up, sorry, zoophiles and dog fuckers of this world kind of grosses me out. Even if they are having sex with dogs, I doubt very much they go to other people's houses, they go to parties and get their dogs alone in a room and rape other people's dogs. Probably not their MO. Also, this is a rumor that you've heard. You don't know for sure that this triad is having sex with dogs. And that's the sort of potentially malicious ass gossip that I don't think can be taken on face value. So unless they've got a We Fuck Dogs Tumblr out there somewhere, it's the sort of thing that if I were in your position, I would put out of my mind and attribute to potentially malicious, vicious gossip. Small kink and queer communities can be hotbeds of backbiting, backstabbing, 
and again, malicious gossip. So I wouldn't necessarily believe this about the triad without evidence or without an admission on their part. But even if there was evidence, even if there was an admission, I doubt very much they're going to come to your party and rape your dogs. If you are concerned, and again, when you weigh keeping the peace in your tiny kink community against the safety of your dogs, if you are concerned, board your dogs in a kennel overnight. Put them upstairs in a locked room. If indeed keeping the peace is so important to you that you would invite either known or accused dog fuckers into your home. Hi, Dan. Um, This is a pretty rudimentary kind of question, but um, I just started seeing a guy and everything's going splendid really well. There's this one little issue. So when I sleep over his place, I find that his mattress is just like a rock. So it's been giving me back problems and I don't know how to address the simple issue of your bed's not comfortable. How do couples deal with this? Use your words. Also, use the leverage that is your presence and your pussy. Go to him and say, you're awesome. The sex is awesome. But I am increasingly less inclined to spend the night or get into bed with you because your bed is hurting my back because your mattress is so hard, old, uncomfortable, whatever it is. Use your words. Tell him it is time to replace his mattress. This isn't something that you should be the least bit inhibited about initiating a conversation regarding. You just go to him and say, how old is your mattress? It's really uncomfortable. It's hurting my back. When's the last time you replaced your mattress? And encourage him to get a new mattress, which is something adults have to do every once in a great fucking while and something that a guy who's dating a woman who's being – injured in his bed at night because of his shitty old hard mattress should be motivated to do. But that motivation will only come if he has the information that he needs. And the information that he needs is ouch from you. And you should not hesitate to tell him. Hi, Dan. I am a 20 year old straight female. And last week, my boyfriend and I had a bit of an accident. We had some pretty awesome sex, and afterwards, he was sucking on my fingers. And I told him no keys because it kind of started to hurt a little bit, and he got to my pinky, and he bit it. And my pinky's now broken in the middle joint. It's not that bad. Went to the doctor. They reset it. It's fixed. It's fine. I have a little cast. Um, But he feels really bad about it, and I'm not entirely sure how to console him because He did bite my pinky and break it, but I've told him that it's okay and I forgive him. He just keeps texting me and asking me constantly, how's your pinky doing? How's this going? Like, it's fine, but I just need some help for him to get over it. I would answer this question, but right now, as I speak, Nancy Hartunian, producer of the Savage Lovecast, her head is exploding. Oh my God. Get out of the way. Lady, 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 lady. He bit your pinky so hard that he broke your pinky and your problem is you're wondering how to get him to not feel bad about this shouldn't he feel bad i think he should feel real bad for a long time like he should feel bad because he broke her pinky and he should feel bad because he's not her boyfriend anymore (laughs) that's your recommendation (gasps) there's no man who's like groovy and hot enough to break my pinky by biting on it 
and st- who still gets to be my boyfriend. And what is her damage that she, everything she says in her call, okay, we had a bit of an accident. He was sucking on my finger. He bit, it's Oops. not that bad. She's minimizing and downplaying a broken bone that she's working so hard to, even before she tells us what happened, to exonerate this guy. And she thinks it's her job, A, to exonerate him in advance of telling us what the fuck he did. And then her problem is how does she comfort the motherfucker who bit her finger in half after she told him to stop, after she warned him, and he just pressed ahead with his pinky-chewing fetish? Which is super hot. Listen, you guys, I listen to so many calls, and it's unfortunately so common. Ladies. Calls like this. Yes. This is a genre. What do you call them? This is what you call them. I just found out you call them this, so you can't blame me. What do you call these calls? (laughs) Women are idiots. (laughs) (laughs) You can say it. Because you're a woman. Oh, my God. It drives me crazy. I hear it all the time. Ladies, you got to learn how to speak up for yourselves and you got to learn how to stick up for yourselves. You can't, you can't be dating men's who bite your pinky so hard that they break. Everybody that's listening to the show right now, put your pinky in your mouth and start biting. How hard can you go? Like really, really hard. It takes a lot of force to break a pinky. So it had to fucking hurt. Yeah. And he had to have known he was hurting her and selfishly, for whatever boner reason, pressed ahead Snapped her fucking pinky in half. Emergency room, having to have a bone set, cast. Like, call the cops. <laughs> Am yeah. I crazy? Circling back to women are idiots. I've made this point so many times <laughs> not, without phrasing it in quite that way, right? Because I wouldn't say that because I couldn't say that. But there does seem to be, and we've talked about this, that women are, you know, the culture trains women in overt and covert ways, constantly beats them in the head. They have to defer to men, that men's feelings are paramount, that the male ego is this thing that it is a woman's job to shore up and protect and defend. And you, we get these calls from women like, oh, his mat- we just took a call. Oh, the mattress is killing me. I don't know. How do I even broach the subject of the furniture in your house hurts me? Like you should be able to just say that. It just, just, but a guy would say that. So that's sometimes why I'm like, what, what? So you get these questions. Women are idiots. Question. Nancy Hartunian's phrase. <laughs> we get these questions, and I'm like, why are you calling? What is the inhibition? What has been? What zap is the culture? The way you were raised. What was said to you? Put on your head that you can't defend yourself from even minor league. Even, ouch! Your mattress hurts my back. I can't say that to him because it might shatter his deck what does she think is going to happen the previous caller and now but this is maybe the er example of that sort of hand-wringy putting the man first his feelings his ego yeah i mean uh, it's just really it's just really common among women and i don't know how to combat it i don't know we have to we just have to practice you would kick a hole in this guy Oh, yeah. Would you have kicked a hole in this guy when you were 20 years old? This caller's 20. Yeah. No, I, I definitely – I never would have put up with that. I really don't think I would have. I mean I catch myself being a girl sometimes and not saying what I need to say or, or deferring or uh, whatever. But in a situation like this, I've I mean this is violence. This, I've never seen this this Nancy Hartunian oh, deferential yes, stuff. yes, you have. Have I? My male privilege is so – even I suffer from it to an extent where when you're deferring to me, I can't tell that that's what's happening? Oh, yes. I'm sure that's what's happening. <laughs> so this woman, 20 years old, doesn't get a pass for being 20, needs to stick up for herself, needs to break up with the finger breaker. 
and stop trying to make him feel better about this terrible, shitty, horrible, awful thing he did. There needs to be consequences for him emotionally, socially. Yes. And and he's he's showing remorse, which is great. But yeah, I mean, lady, you can find a better fellow than this guy. You really can. It's not setting the bar too high to say you can find a better fella than the guy who bit your finger in half. In your next ad, just say no pinky breakers. <laughs> hey, Dan, quick question. Uh, I get cold sores maybe every couple of years or so. Before I make out with someone, do I need to notify them of that? Nope. Hi, Dan. My boyfriend and I just started having anal sex, and we both really enjoy it. What are some ways that I can loosen my butthole so that the insertion process can be smoother and more comfortable? Before you have anal sex for the first time, you need to engage your anus during sex play without anal penetration being a part of it. Rimming, massage, get your anus engaged while you're doing other things that you enjoy. Get a couple of small butt plugs as beginner toys. Insert them. Have orgasms while those butt plugs are tucked into your rear end so that you can associate some degree of gentle, non-thrusty anal penetration uh, and presence with pleasure, with your orgasms. And then when you first transition or first attempt actual anal intercourse, lay him down or her down and you be in charge of the pace, the depth, the rate of penetration and breathe. And you have to take it slow. You have to learn how to relax your anus, relax your sphincters and take that dick. What you can't do is what you've seen in pornography, which is people just throw dicks into asses and start slamming them in and out. Those are people who are pros. Those are people who are probably having anal sex before they started filming that scene. So their assholes were already relaxed and engaged. Breathe, 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 breathe. And when the fucking starts, whether you're in charge of the beginning and the pace or you're allowing your partner to be in charge, they have to go very slow. Look deeply into your eyes. Breathe, breathe, breathe and take it slow. You build up to the kind of ass pounding that you may have seen in porn and you can get there. Almost everybody can get there. But you won't ever get there if you try. If you start there, if you start with pounding you're going to have to bail. It's going to ruin it for you. You may even injure yourself. You've got to give your little butthole plenty of time to relax. And you will be more relaxed. Again, that first time you try anal sex or the first few times you try anal sex, if you have done the advance work, if you have played with your hole when you were alone, when you were masturbating, so you didn't feel any pressure to come through with a fuckable hole at that moment – and had orgasms and fantasized about it and then transitioned to small toys with a partner, one in his butt too, so he can see what it's like to have the anus engaged in play as well, and one in yours. And then you have those orgasms where you're associating penetration and anal stimulation with pleasure instead, as so many people do when they just go for full-bore anal intercourse the first time they have it, instead of associating that first experience, that first experience being shot through with dread and anxiety. You want that first experience with actual anal intercourse of getting ass fucked to come when you are excited about trading up from tongues and fingers and butt plugs to dicks and fucking. Good luck. Hi, Dan. Here's a question for your one-minute show. Why is it that a lot of gay guys have a big problem with going to dance parties or clubs where there are straight women? 
It has been my experience that gay guys do not have a problem going to bars or clubs where there are women. What some gay men have a problem with are tons of women coming to gay bars where there are men, where there are gay men. Because some of those women in those spaces, in those gay spaces, behave very badly. And conversely, some gay men in those spaces behave badly toward those women in those spaces, some of whom are behaving badly. You can find lots of essays online actually at Jezebel and other places about the, the proof of gay male misogyny being that I or my friends or this girl I know was treated badly in a gay bar. Not by everyone but by one person or two people and that's unfortunate and that shouldn't happen. But I speak for the homos when I say that I have been in gay bars where I have watched women do things that if they were straight men in bars doing those things to other women would get them arrested. For instance, a woman came up behind my husband in a gay bar and slipped her hand into his pants and put her finger in his asshole. Trantara. And you'll never guess what she said when I turned around and yelled at her and moved her away from my husband's asshole. Are you sitting down? You know what she said to me? She said, well, look at what he's wearing. Honest to God, I'm not making it up and there are witnesses. Look at what he's wearing. He was wearing a jockstrap in a sleazy gay bar on a sleazy gay night. And she followed him up the stairs and touched his ass and put her finger in his hole. And he thought it was me. And he thought that was unlike me and rude. And when he turned around, it was some woman that he had never seen in his entire life. So I'm just saying that there is a context sometimes that this, this grinding of gears or the, these tensions in gay bars around the presence of women exists in because some women in those bars are very entitled and behave badly. There are gay men in those bars who are very entitled and also behave badly. And we should all be good and decent to each other. We should all be kind to each other. I actually don't have a problem with women in gay bars. I like women in gay bars. I don't like dumb bitches in gay bars, whether they're gay men or women. I don't like dumb bitches in gay bars. Gay men flipping sexist, horrible shit at straight women or lesbians or bi women in a gay bar. Gay men who feel like that they can touch that woman's body as has happened and sometimes been detailed in these pieces in Jezebel and elsewhere where because you're a woman in a gay bar, this gay man who's dancing with you feels like he can touch your breasts in a way that – a straight man wouldn't necessarily be allowed to or feel that he could, that he feels entitled because we're all just girls here. Yeah, I'm not down with that and I would never do that and I would never smile on that. And yes, that is something that you can legitimately complain about, ladies, if that happens to you in a gay bar. Conversely, there are women who go to gay bars who treat gay men, the gay men they find there, like they are goats in a petting zoo and that they are entitled to touch them, that that is a two-way street, that kind of disrespect and shitty treatment. So caller – why do gay men have a problem going to bars where there are women? Gay men don't have a problem. Gay men, particularly who go to bars where they expect to find women, like a straight dance club or a mixed dance club, like a rebar in Seattle, are not going to have a problem with the women there. Some gay men have a problem with the women who come to gay bars, not because all women who come to gay bars behave badly. But you know what? Some of you do. I've seen it with my own eyes. I turned to that woman when she said, look at what he's wearing. And I was like, oh my God, if I called the police right now, if I was 
if I did that to you and the cops burst into the room and I said, look at what she was wearing, I would get arrested. Rightly so. Get your fucking hand out of my boyfriend's ass. Not too much to ask. Hi, Dan. I'm at a bar with me and my boyfriend and his best friend. And I just told him a secret about me where I masturbated for a guy for money back in the day. Like he would send me $500 to masturbate and he would pay me through like bras and like money through while I was going through college. I think that that's kind of almost being a hooker and I was really ashamed by it. And I never told anybody until now, but they think that that's not hooker at all. It's just you getting through college. And this guy and I had an agreement and he had a wife and like I met his wife through Skype and whatever. And we had a total agreement, but I think that it's totally slutty of me and totally a hooker thing to do by masturbating in front of a guy and getting money for it and getting gifts but they don't. I want to know your perspective. Do you think it is the same thing as being like a sex worker by masturbating in front of someone and getting money for it as the same as having sex with someone and getting money for it? I would love your opinion on it. Thank you so much. It's totally a form of sex work, what you're engaged in, but it is absolutely nothing that you should be ashamed of. You shouldn't have to redefine a form of sex work as not a form of sex work to be okay with it. What you did was beneficial to all involved. You got money that you needed. You created joy and pleasure for this man. His wife was down with it. You weren't – the reason his kids were naked or starving in the streets because he was bankrupting himself, paying you to masturbate. Obviously, he could afford this and his wife was fine with it. You did nothing, nothing wrong here. You did do sex work. But sex work isn't always or even that often – wrong. You were consenting adults. You had a relationship that was grounded in a commodified exchange of goods and services, but also was shot through with respect. Give yourself a fucking break. You did sex work and you did it well. And it benefited you at a time in your life when you needed the money. There are lots of people who do sex work to help cover the bills, pay the expenses, put themselves through college. And it benefited him. And it took nothing away from his wife. Good for you. Hi, Dan. This is a, uh, I'm a 29-year-old straight male, and I was calling because I recently got tested for STDs at an urgent care clinic, and they told me that I tested positive for bacterial vaginosis, and that confused me because I don't have a vagina. There's literally no resources online about um, men carrying bacteria, vaginosis, whatever the hell that is. So I uh, asked my general practitioner about it, and um, he said, do not absolutely, under any circumstances, take the antibiotics. So, you know, at the same time, he doesn't hear as much about um, STD science, I guess, as maybe uh, you or one of your expert friends might. And I was wondering if you had heard anything or had any information about um, men carrying bacterial vaginosis. Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Dr. Barack Gaster, professor of medicine at the University of Washington and longtime guest expert around these Savage Love and Lovecast parts. Hey, Dr. Gaster, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Do men get bacterial vaginosis? Is that a thing? No, they do not. And, uh, you know, this is definitely a weird, bad encounter that he had at this urgent care clinic in that bacterial vaginosis is 
is it's really, really common, but it's actually pretty confusing as to what exactly causes it. But it happens in women, and it's not thought of as a sexually transmitted disease. There is no test for bacterial vaginosis in men. And men, so you need a vagina to have bacterial vaginosis. Yeah, they they don't get it. They don't they don't get bacterial vaginosis. They can't carry bacterial vaginosis, and they definitely shouldn't be treated for bacterial vaginosis. At this point, we're both going to be glittered by trans activists. Some men have vaginas. Those men might get bacterial vaginosis. Asterisk noted. But this guy, being a cisgendered man, presumably, does not have bacterial vaginosis. So wasn't this guy not just failed by this urgent care STI clinic, but failed by his primary care physician as well, who didn't tell him he didn't have bacterial vaginosis because he couldn't? Yeah, so it's hard to tell from the what the caller says, because the caller says that his primary care doctor says just don't take the medicine, which I, I would absolutely agree with. I think anybody who heard of this from an urgent care clinic would say, gee, that sounds sort of strange and weird and doesn't make sense. Do not take this medicine. But the doctor didn't say that's not possible. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the doctor said. All we know from the from the call is that the doctor said, do not take this medicine. I'm going to pin you down on this. But if the doctor right. didn't say it's not possible, <laughs> the doctor screwed up. Because this guy left that encounter yeah. with his primary care right. physician under the impression that he still might have bacterial vaginosis. And so right. he's calling me, not a doctor, to write yeah. it down for him. <laughs> right. His primary care doctor should have said, you don't have bacterial agenosis and you can't have it. And, um, but, it, it, but, you know, the, the caller is sort of understandably confused in that bacterial vaginosis is a confusing disease that we don't exactly know why people get it. But we do feel very confident that only women get it. And that, uh, I'm going to have to glitter that, you again. Only uh, people uh, with the, vaginas. Vaginas. That's right. Most and of whom that, are, bio, are cisgendered women. Yep, some of whom yep. are trans men. Yeah. There, there is some controversy about whether if a woman has bacterial vaginosis, is there any benefit at all to treating their male partner? And we feel very confident that that doesn't do any good in terms of preventing a recurrence of bacterial vaginosis in the woman. So we're, we're fuzzy on exactly, you know, what, what causes it and does, does sexual activity somehow put you at higher risk, but it's pretty clear that it's not a sexually transmitted disease and that men can't have it or can't carry it and shouldn't be treated for it. Unless they're men who have vaginas. Yes. Hi, Dan. I was wanting to ask you a question. My partner is interested in urinating inside of me during sex, and I was wondering if that is problematic from a health concern. I would appreciate any insight you can give into that if that's something that people commonly do or if there are some health hazards associated with that act. So, Dr. Gaster, we kept you around for this call. Urinating in the vagina, is this something people commonly do? Uh, so, I can't speak to the how frequently it happens. Um, but I can definitely say that, uh, you know, urine is generally really pretty sterile. And, you know, even though it can be irritating, the, the vaginal wall is pretty resilient and designed to come in contact with one's own urine. Um, so that I would say there's not a lot to go on in the medical literature on this one. But overall, I'd have to say that probably it's pretty safe, you know, as, lo as long as it's, uh, you know, within everything in moderation. So be a moderate you're in receptacle. Yep, probably pretty safe. All right, Dr. Gaster, thank you so much for jumping on the phone and fielding those with me. 
it is always a pleasure, Dan. Is it really? Because <laughs> sometimes the tone of your voice—it does, it does, it sounds like you're in pain. <laughs> it sounds sometimes like someone's urinating in your vagina while yeah. we talk. <laughs> it's enough of a pleasure that I keep coming back. So I don't know. <laughs> hey, Dan, thirty-three-year-old gay man. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. Uh, um, at least over to one of them. And recently, you've been doing a lot of podcasts on uh, when relationships get to the point where you're so salty with your mate that um, you know you're just kind of hiding the fact that you both want to break up. What if you're at that point and you don't want to break up and you want to fix things? What do you do? Can you fix things? So you called about how to fix things, but you didn't tell me what things you wanted fixed. What are we talking about here? Um. It's just, it's a lot of just, I mean, we're, you know, you wake up together and, and you know, we, we, we wake up every morning, we shower together and there's just no, I mean, like we're nasty to each other. From the moment we get, we get up, there's no, there's just no romance. We get home, there's no romance. It's just, we go through the motions of every single day. We're just doing the same thing. And it's like, and he never wants to go out anywhere. And I, I want to go travel places and he doesn't want to travel anywhere. It's just, it, How long and have you, been then, together? you know, we, we've been together for um, five years. Does he make you happy? There you go. There's your answer. That pause is your answer. Why do you want to fix it? If he doesn't make you happy and you're nasty to each other, you know, the, the reason to be with someone is because they bring more joy into your life than bullshit and grief and nastiness and anger. And every relationship comes with bullshit and grief and nastiness and anger because you, all human relationships do, particularly the kind of human relationship where you're together a lot. But there has to be the, you know, the compensation of joy and companionship and orgasms. And if those things yeah. aren't there, then putting up with the nastiness ain't worth it. Better to be alone. Like so many people have this terror of being alone that they will put up with the nastiness, the anger, the, the, the bullshit forever because they think that, you know, however bad it is being alone is worse or more stigmatized and it just ain't, it ain't. And you're not going to find somebody who's, who brings the nastiness and the anger and the bullshit into your life, but also the joy and the companionship and the orgasms too. If you never end the relationship that only brings the bad shit and none of the good shit. But you know, we, we don't have a bad situation. It's not like, you know, where hey, you just said you get up in the morning and you're nasty to each other. You're nasty to each other all day. You don't want, he doesn't want to travel. Doesn't want to do anything that you want to do. Is he okay with you traveling alone without him? Yeah, I mean, he, 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 I mean, I, I, I do that often, usually around the holidays, because he doesn't want to. Because my family doesn't live anywhere near his, so we usually just. You know, and then you know, I, I've uh, I've met up with friends and traveled different cities and, and hung out with, with people there. But you know, he just he just he's a real homebody, mm -hmm. and I, I mean, I, I, I don't want this to end. I, I want this to. I just want to like you know make things better. And by make things better, do you mean you want him to be a different human being? Wow. Um, like to find better, like he becomes an extrovert and wants to travel with you. It's a fine thing. You know, there's actually some data out there, some research that shows that, uh, you know, one of the seeming elements of a successful long, long-term relationship is time away from each other, including separate vacations, that that actually can make a relationship stronger and better because people are still individuals. They go out there in the world. They have experiences on their own. They come home. They have something to fucking talk about, Right. 
And yeah. you're more attracted to this person. Absence does make the heart grow fonder. But that's not going to work if when you're allowed, if he allows you with his blessing and no recrimination or bullshit allows you to go on a vacation, but you're angry because he's not going with you. That's not going to work. You have to take well, I mean, that. It's not so much anger as it is sadness, really. I mean, I just, I just, you know, I feel like a lot of these things would be better if if he would just come along. And, it, and you know, he's, but would he's, it? I speak as the introverted partner. We had a call earlier, right? You know, I came out as the introvert. Would it be better if he was along with you for the ride, but miserable and ruining your good time? He has uh, eczema. It's a skin disorder where, like, if, you know, so he, he's really, really self-conscious about it. Mm-hmm. I do everything I can to make him feel better. Like I give massages and just let him know that like, I, you know, there's, it's not a big, scary thing. You can just be out, you know, and not worry about it. But So he's secluding himself because he's worried about how he'll be received in the world. How he'll be treated because of his skin condition. Yeah. So you worry that this isn't him preferring to be at home or choosing to be at home. It's not a joyful choice for him. It's a sad choice for him. Yeah. And I just think that it's coming out as like him just arguing with me about everything. And I'm just like. You need to get into couples counseling. This is a longer thing to unpack than just some fag with an advice show, you know. I got you. I'm not saying I'm not scolding you for calling me. I'm glad you called me. But this does seem like something where you want to help him and he may be resisting help from you. And sometimes it's hard to take help from our romantic partners. Sometimes we need help from someone we don't have to look at every day, be with every day. And you know, that that we're that close to sometimes you need somebody at a remove to, to help you work through, you know, something as enormous potentially as his insecurities around his skin condition. You know, if what you yeah. want is for him to be able to be out there in the world unselfconsciously and be able to enjoy it with you, that that is something that I think he's likelier to get there with the help of a professional than okay. with either your help or my help. I, there's no magic words I can tell you. I'm sure you've thought of everything in the many years that you've been together that you could possibly say to him to reassure him, and it hasn't worked. There are <laughs> therapists who specialize in folks who have these kinds of conditions. Is he familiar? You know, there's that model, uh, Winnie Harlow, who has that skin condition. Uh, I can't pronounce it. Vitelligo or Vitella, Vitellio, um, where I, I, she's African-American, but she has those white patches and modeling. Okay. okay. And, and she's out there in the world and she's ballsy and brave and just putting it out there. And this is a skin condition that, you know, Many people who suffer from it seclude themselves and have a hard time showing themselves. And she's just fucking out there. And she's a goddamn model with a career. And so there are support groups. There are services. There are people out there who are walking his walk, who have the same kinds of problems that he has, who aren't locking themselves away the way he is. And it might benefit him to meet and speak to some of them as opposed to getting these blandishments and reassurances from you or me because he's going to expect them as a matter of course from you. You have to say these things to him. Putting all that aside though, the like 24 hours a day of nastiness, that's a whole other issue. And do you guys want to be together? And you know, when you're in your own home and you're waking up in the morning and the day starts with nasty and ends with nasty and is shot through with nasty, is he pushing you out of his life? Are you pushing him out of yours? You know, setting aside the skin condition, there's the question of whether you guys really want to be together. And in- well, I mean, 
I'd like it. <laughs> but uh, I, I, mean, I would like to stay together with him. Couples um, counseling, couples counseling, and a counselor who specializes uh, in helping folks who have these kinds of skin conditions or other physical disabilities. Okay. I'm, I'm just taking notes. I'm sorry. It's a nervous habit. But the, no, it's okay. Um, I, 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 right. I do think that's, that's the way you've got to go. But eventually, you know, you have to take no for an answer at some point too. It is my belief generally when people are shitty to people they're with, they're often trying to force that person's hand, often trying to make that person do what they don't have the balls to do themselves, which is end the relationship. And maybe he's forcing you in that way because he, because he feels that he doesn't deserve you. You would be better off without him. It's about his insecurities. It's about his self-loathing. And if you can address his insecurities and self-loathing, maybe he'll stop being nasty to you and pushing you away. But there's also the question of you being nasty to him and pushing him away. Yeah. And you need to figure out whether your nastiness is just a reaction to his and whether his is grounded in this self-loathing and this desire to force your hand to get you to do the dirty work of ending the relationship because then he can swan around if you know he successfully pushes you to end the relationship. Then he can play the victim and he can accuse you of dumping him for this reason because of the skin condition, right? Yeah. And oftentimes when people do that, that they, they really want to be dumped so that they can be the victim, that they can be the wronged party. And if you're both pl- doing that to each other and it's this awful game of relationship chicken where neither of you going to end it because you're both trying to force the other one to do the dirty work, to be the bad guy. Oh my God, that's just going to get worse and worse. It's like a supernova of shitty interpersonal dynamics. It's only going to get bigger and more explosive. Relationship chicken. That, that's fine. Yeah. Couples counseling. All right. Couples counseling. Will do. And if I were you, and as a loving act, whether the relationship continues or not, get out there, get online, find a counselor or a therapist in your area who specializes in helping people with your boyfriend's particular issues. Okay. In addition to the couples counselor that you're both going to go see. All right. Thanks, Dan. You're welcome. Hi, Dan. I'm a trans woman in my late 20s and I'm calling with kind of a unique problem. I'm in a stable, long-term committed relationship with an absolutely awesome, totally supportive, very GGG guy, and I really enjoy our sex life. But ever since I had GRS several years ago, I've had an exceptionally hard time getting to orgasm. I knew the difficulty reaching orgasm was a possible outcome going into the surgery, and I have no regrets whatsoever. But it doesn't stop me from trying to find ways to fix my problem. One thing that does give me hope is that I've been able to have an orgasm while I'm sleeping. Once every few months, I'll have a sexy dream, and I'll come, and it'll be great, and it'll even be so intense, it'll wake me up sometimes. It happens really easily in those dreams. I'm not even doing anything special. Basically, just as soon as I start having sex in the dream, I come. I just can't seem to get there while I'm awake, no matter what I do. I've tried all kinds of things, both alone and with my boyfriend, different positions, different vibrators, watching porn, playing up sexual fantasies we both have. I've talked to two different sex therapists, neither of which has been much help. I've talked with my doctor who has tried adjusting hormone levels and that hasn't helped either. I've searched the internet and there's almost no solid advice or discussion on this problem because it's such a rare problem to have. I've been working on this for two years and I'm starting to get pretty discouraged, Dan. Any advice or suggestions you might have to help me? Relax. Isn't that the lesson of the orgasms that you have in your sleep? You are perfectly, completely relaxed and you have these dirty dreams and you're just in this space, this, this aroused space where you aren't staring at your body, f- trying to force it. You aren't in that moment. You aren't goal oriented. You are just 
dreaming. You are just having sex in your head and your body is capable of climaxing. Your body engages. And it seems to me that the, the crucial element when your body engages and you can have those orgasms is complete relaxation. You aren't trying to have an orgasm. You are just in the moment, in that dream state, enjoying the sex that you are imagining that you're having and your body kicks in and comes. So my advice would be to try to replicate that feeling or that state when you are awake and you are having sex, that you stop concentrating on having an orgasm, stop trying so desperately to work toward that orgasm and focus instead on pure pleasure and enjoyment of the sex you're having in the moment and stop chasing that rabbit. Stop chasing it. Allow it to happen. Allow yourself, allow yourself to relax and enjoy and tell yourself that maybe it'll happen and maybe it won't and then stop pushing toward it and focus on pleasure. Focus on your partner's pleasure. Focus on your own pleasure. Focus on relaxing. Maybe smoke some pot. And see, and maybe it'll take some time, but over the last two years, you've been pornography and fantasizing and sex toys and this and that and effort, effort, effort. But in your dreams, effortless, it happens. In your sex life, effort, 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 it doesn't happen. You need to bring that effortlessness from your dream state, from your sleepy time to your sex life. And that means telling yourself whether you come or not, and maybe not for a while, whether you come or not, you're going to enjoy yourself. Hi, I have a friend who is ha- has this really terrible girlfriend, shitty, emotionally manipulating him, and just overall a terrible person. And I've been telling him to dump this motherfucker already. And I've been telling him this for the last six months. How many times can you tell someone to dump the motherfucker already and it still be effective? Some people seem to stay in terrible relationships because they enjoy the attention. They enjoy the fact that their family and friends are all running in circles around them, trying to help, trying to talk them into leaving this guy. That it is sometimes staying in a shitty relationship, a form of negative attention seeking. So, you have told your friend to dump this guy, to dump the motherfucker already over and over and over again. And you've told him and you've told him and you told him. And I think now you need to tell yourself that he either isn't listening. So repeating it isn't going to help or he enjoys this. He enjoys, if not the grief and drama of the relationship, he enjoys the attention that it's winning him. So stop paying attention. That doesn't mean cut your friend out of your life. That means when he begins to, complain to you about his boyfriend, you look at him blankly. You give him nothing. And if he says, what, why are you, you say, you know what you need to do. I've told you. And you change the subject. You stop engaging around the issue of his shitty, shitty relationship. Hi, Dan. Um, This is a 27-year-old female in the Northeast. I have a question about what your opinion is on this matter. I was recently with some girlfriends of mine and I had just changed out my purse and I looked at my purse, I had all these condoms in there still. And one of the things, um, we kind of decided a discussion with all of us, um, being as young females, um, having condoms on hand for in case we find someone, you know, and 
some girls were saying how if a guy doesn't have a condom with him, then you can't, you shouldn't sleep with him. And others, myself included, were, well, it's best to be safe and sorry. Always, you never know if you're going to be drinking too much or what happens. Always have a condom on hand and prepare yourself. And I was wondering what you thought on that. Um, should And would you recommend, if you had a daughter, tell her to teach her to carry condoms with her in her bag or purse just in case? Yeah, I think you should teach your daughters to carry condoms and keep condoms around. I think everyone should keep condoms around. I think you can go ahead and fuck a guy who wasn't carrying a box of condoms around himself. Maybe that guy comes in for a little heightened scrutiny that that's a guy where you're – particularly if it's a one-night stand, particularly if you're having impulsive, nearly anonymous sex, you might want to leave the lights on. You might want to take a visual check every once in a while to make sure he wasn't not carrying condoms because he doesn't like wearing them and therefore might – be the kind of guy who would remove a condom midway through the act or pretend it slipped off or pretend it broke when he actually removed it. But you should definitely carry condoms around. That said, an important note, in New York City and some other cities, police will arrest women who are carrying condoms and accuse them of being hookers, that they have condoms on them as proof that they are sex workers, which is insane because even if they are sex workers – we want our sex workers to be using and carrying condoms, do we not? So to criminalize carrying condoms, to make that having condoms on you likelier to result in your arrest, whether you're a sex worker or not, from a social standpoint, is just nuts, completely nuts. That said, yeah, obviously, you should carry condoms and you should stock them and you should encourage your daughters to do the same. Hi, Dan. My question isn't relationship-related. It's more about a lifestyle choice. What are your thoughts on coming out? Is it absolutely necessary? When I was in college, I was pretty adamant about why I didn't feel the need to come out of the closet since I didn't want to be known for being gay. I wanted to be known for being awesome. I mean, like, being gay and being awesome and doing the same. But you know what I mean, right? So, some of my more progressive friends told me that I had an obligation to come out of the closet. So many people had worked hard to give us the right to come out. I mean, I am proud of being gay. I just think that there's more to define me in my preference than genitalia. My rant aside, what are your thoughts on me coming out? Nobody has to be out. But closeted people need to accept that it is a moral failing to be closeted. It is also an effort. It's also, if you don't want to be defined by something, counterproductive. Because the thing we hide from people inevitably becomes the thing that defines us. Think about that. Hi, Dan. I'm replying to the girl whose sister is a lesbian and her mother didn't want her to tell her grandmother that she was a lesbian. I wanted to let her know from my own personal experience, when you do not tell a relative that you are gay, and they die, you are left with a terrible feeling of shame, and you feel like a coward, and you feel like you denied yourself the pleasure of being honest and truthful with someone that meant a lot to you. My father uh, died less than a year ago, and I never told him that I was gay, and it's an enormous regret. I just think that should completely override a 
silly mothers worry about someone dying because they hear the word lesbian. You know, I told my grandmother and the next words out of her mouth were, do you have a boyfriend? And she had this sort of funny, wonderful, snarly look on her face like she really wanted the answer to be yes. So don't be afraid. Fear not. Grandparents are really cool people. Hi, Dan. Uh, this is a comment about episode 475 where you had the young woman who was interested in gangbangs. Um, especially after your rant at the beginning of the show, I was surprised to not hear you recommend that she be on True Beta. Um, if she's having intercourse with, it sounds like, dozens of partners, dozens of partners at a time, receiving vaginal and anal sex, and with a sort of checkered history of, of proper condom use, I think Truveda is just as appropriate for her as it is for any members of the gay male community. Hi, uh, I'm just calling about the woman who was in the last show who really liked getting gangbanged. I am also one of those women who really like getting gangbanged, and i just like to say... Here are some tips. Find some good groups because what happened to you is not good. Those are the bad ones and they're really scary and stay away from those. But what I like to do is set them up myself. So I think Dan gave you some great advice about that. Just set it, you know, you can do it really easily through Craigslist or Set Life. Um, so just find one of those. And then also you should like lay out what you want to happen before it happens. You know, it's sort of like any kink scene. Like you should just say what you want and let it roll out after that and then you're kind of in charge of what happens to you and then also I say go with older men seems to work for me kind of the older the less they're going to push you to do things you don't want to do so anyways good luck you're you're strong and you're awesome and keep doing it it's really fun and we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future non-One Minute Wonder show, give us a call. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Get yourself a fuck first Savage Lovecast mug at thestranger.com slash savagesweg, where you will also find the GGG mug, DTMFA mugs and maybe t-shirts to come soon. And you can buy the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, the longer ad-free subscription edition of the Savage Lovecast for yourself. Or you can give it as a gift to the Savage Lovecast fan on your holiday gift list. Just go to savagelovecast.com and click on the gray gift button. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.